The Hamlet Podcast, episode 79. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. As we left things, in the middle of this strange and fraught encounter between Hamlet and Ophelia, Hamlet asked the pointed question, where's your father? As discussed last time, there's plenty of room here for the actor playing Hamlet to make clear that he's aware of being watched, and that he's aware of who's doing so. Ophelia, by contrast, hasn't really been told what to do in this situation, at least not on stage in anything that we've seen. Her answer is a lie. At home, my lord. As ever, how she might deliver this is open to interpretation. There's nothing to say that she doesn't say one thing but gesture something else. Or is she so at a loss as to how to respond to Hamlet's erratic behaviour that she tries to smooth things over so that hopefully this ugly scene might end sooner rather than later? Hamlet replies immediately, Let the doors be shut upon him, that he may play the fool nowhere but in his own house. Farewell. Hamlet shouts that Polonius should be locked up at home and play the fool nowhere but here. Play-acting and pretense, and more seriously, outright deception, are endemic in this story and this court, and Hamlet is starting to call it out. He reduces Polonius to the position of the court jester, or fool, which is all the smarter if he's aware that the king and this clown are within earshot. We don't get a response from either of the old men, but Ophelia is increasingly convinced that Hamlet has lost his mind. He has said farewell, and he's presumably making to leave, as she then says, Oh, help him, you sweet heavens. He's so far gone in her eyes that only prayer can help him. Hamlet turns around, with even more invective for Ophelia, a frequent trait of his throughout the play. His false exits show each time that he's bubbling up with more things to say. If thou dost marry, I'll give thee this plague for thy diary. Be thou as chaste as ice, as pure as snow, thou shalt not escape calumny. Get thee to a nunnery, go, farewell. Or if thou wilt needs marry, marry a fool, for wise men know well enough what monsters you make of them. To a nunnery, go, and quickly too, farewell. There's been, at very least, an intimation that Hamlet and Ophelia might one day get married, So for him now to turn around to her and say that if she gets married at all, and it clearly now won't be to him, his wedding present will be a curse. Ordinarily a dowry would be provided by a parent or a guardian male relative, but since Hamlet is a prince and she's a member of this tight-knit court, it does make its own kind of cruel sense that he might offer one. His curse is sharp. If you marry, no matter whether you're as chaste as ice or pure as snow, both particularly cold images, you still won't be able to avoid slander. So go to the nunnery. This little portion of the text has two more farewells within it. Hamlet is eager to leave, but keeps loading on further things to say to her. We can read it either as the extent of his passion, be it anger at Ophelia for being a pawn in this setup, or indeed at what he may understand to have been a lie about Polonius' whereabouts, or a kind of frazzled performance of madness designed for her as much as anyone else. After the first farewell, he continues this marital address. If thou wilt needs marry, marry a fool. If you really must get married at all, at least marry someone ignorant, because wise men are perfectly aware of what monsters you make of them. 
All women are untrustworthy, frail indeed, and will cuckold their husbands. The word monster here implies the horns of a cuckold or a man whose wife is cheating on him. There's the difference here too between playing the fool, as Polonius does, and being genuinely ignorant, which happiness he wishes on whatever man might end up as poor Ophelia's husband. This attack really does feel relentless, and this is certainly not the Hamlet Ophelia knows or loves. After this renewed farewell, she prays again, O oh, heavenly powers, restore him. Help him, restore him. Her pleas are getting more specific as the scene unfolds, and she sees that he's not only in need of prayer, but really he's no longer anything like the prince she fell in love with. Hamlet comes back for one more volley. I have heard of your paintings too well enough. God has given you one face, and you make yourselves another. You jig, you amble, and you lisp, and nickname God's creatures, and make your wantonness your ignorance. Go to, I'll know more, aunt. It hath made me mad. I say, we will have no more marriages. Those that are married already, all but one, shall live. The rest shall keep as they are. To a nunnery, go. Still harping on beauty and honesty, Hamlet now has some choice words for how women present themselves in general. It's a bit of a non sequitur for him to launch into talking about painting, in this case makeup, but pay attention to the language. Shakespeare throughout this scene has been very, very specific. We had a major shift earlier in the scene from verse into prose, signalling the awkwardness and heightening tension of the conversation. When Hamlet rejects the little package of love tokens that Ophelia tries to return to him, she switches into the prose that characterises the rest of their scene together. There's such a level of artificiality here. Hamlet is pretending to be mad, but perhaps genuinely angry, while Ophelia attempts to play cool and act naturally, while fully aware that her father and the king are eavesdropping. The prose, and its deliberately unrhythmic character, means that there's a freedom of delivery and a, a sort of general uncertainty to whatever might be said next. And now, Hamlet switches from thee and thou, which he uses informally to address Ophelia, to the more formal and general you and your, signalling his shift to talking about women in general. Ophelia is still included, but there's a lot of residual anger towards his mother here and presumably other women as well. There's Hamlet's general discomfort with all these ideas of beauty and honesty, and a particular spike of misogyny towards affected women. We've no express evidence that Ophelia is the kind of woman he's describing either. Shakespeare gives Ophelia no time to behave like that in her earlier scenes in the play. Hamlet's distaste is for those who jig, amble, lisp and nickname God's creatures and make their wantonness their ignorance. In other words, women who move, walk, speak or talk in a particularly affected manner, or who use their ignorance as an excuse for any kind of foolish behaviour. What little we've seen of Ophelia is rather different from this. There's no suggestion that she does any of these things, nor indeed does she nicknames God's creatures with any tiresome epithets. So why would Hamlet attack her, even generally, with such unearned comments? Hamlet insists that there'll be no more of it, he's had enough. Go to, I'll no more on't. Most intriguingly, he says that it hath made me mad. Does mad here mean angry, or is he acknowledging that this kind of duplicity has actually made him lose his mind? It's a pretty explosive choice of words. 
Is Hamlet actually mad, or playing mad, or trying to make the men behind the curtain think he's madder than he is? These are all viable options within a given production. Having started with his curse for Ophelia if she ever does marry, now he seems to change his mind. I say we will have no more marriages. Those that are married already, all but one, shall live. The rest shall keep as they are. To a nunnery, go. Much of the play's early scenes have been focused on Hamlet's opinion of his mother marrying his uncle. It is their marriage that was the first of the play's many problems. In Hamlet's new arrangement, he's saying there'll be no more marriages at all. But those who are already married shall keep as they are, with one exception. He's already determined that he's going to test the king with the player's performance. Now we get an intimation that the king must die. His all but one shall live line could be shouted loudly for the benefit of the king behind the curtain, if Hamlet is genuinely aware of his presence. If not, it's still a pretty extravagant little speech from a young prince who isn't quite king yet. Such posturing, alongside his frustrations over beauty and honesty and his more specific attacks against Ophelia, are all enough to cause the young woman severe dismay. Hamlet tells her one final time to get to a nunnery and then leaves. And this time, interestingly, he does not say farewell. I saw a production once that made the latter half of this interaction Hamlet's attempt to show Ophelia that he was performing and that he wasn't really trying to attack her. The switch from thou to you and the general surprise of the shift of focus were clearly exploited and it nearly worked, but unfortunately at the expense of Ophelia's next speech. To hear what she's about to say, and indeed how the old men behind the curtain respond, be sure to tune in for our next episode. Until then, thanks as usual for listening, and do be sure to visit thehamletpodcast.com for a wealth of supplementary features, links to social media, and all of the podcast's previous episodes. I'll speak to you next week.